and it was definitely the abyss, right? I still remember starting that first company and being so scared about like if it would work and how we would do it and if I would raise the money and just, it was a very daunting experience. This is LA is Good For You, a podcast about the founders and funders who are building LA's most interesting companies. We are your hosts, Susan Kevin. On this week's episode, we'll introduce you to Grant Miller, founder of Replicated, a software as a service startup in Culver City. So, Suze, Grant mentioned that he paid himself just $24,000 a year when he was building Look.io. Could you do it? $24,000. Uh, isn't that like four trips to Whole Foods? I think pretty much. Then no, absolutely not. It would be tough, for sure. But it does sound like it worked out for him. Absolutely. Um, Grant told us that the sale of Look.io was very successful, and it helped him set up his new company. Great. Let's hear more about it. We pick up with Grant talking about how we ended up moving from Ohio to Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, so when I was in college, my maybe third or fourth year, my brother moved out here uh, and was living in Santa Monica. And so I got to visit him. And that's really what exposed me to LA. And I realized like that it was basically endless summer and it was this perfect you know place. And I, and I wanted to be there from then on out. So it, it looks like I was just, you know, doing some LinkedIn stalking. Sorry about that. Um, it looks like you were at Spark People for a while. Um, and you said you were doing some customer acquisition work there and some PR. Um, at some point, you moved to Santa Monica and started uh, this new company called Lookio. How did that happen? Yeah, so uh, I was at Spark People throughout college and then a couple of years after college. And while I was there, things were going quite well. And so I had the opportunity to really live wherever I wanted. And then L.A., because my brother was here, was the perfect fit. So I moved out and I worked remotely for them for two and a half years. Uh, and then while I was there, another uh, entrepreneur, um, this guy, Will Schroeder, who is the uh, the founder of what's called Startups.co, uh, reached out. because you know He was from Columbus. We had mutual connections. We got lunch. And he offered me to, a role to be his CMO of the sort of various holding companies here, the holding company he had that ran a bunch of different startups. And so working with Will was actually an incredible opportunity because Will had started like seven companies and sold a bunch and had been like super successful from that perspective. Uh, and I, when working with him, I learned one really important thing, which was the motto that he kind of created for me, which was think less, do more. And so it was really about like, hey, don't overthink everything, just execute, just deliver. Like we need, it's, it's about like this cadence and this pace more than it is about everything being perfect. And you, you know, like you produce really great work, but you just need to like ship more stuff. And so I learned that from Will, which was amazing. And he also helped connect me into the, the startup ecosystem in LA. The startup ecosystem at the time uh, in Santa Monica was really based around um, a co-working space called Coloft. And so this is sort of before we worked, before you know the co-working spaces of today. There was only one, and that one place uh, birthed a lot of amazing companies. Um, they would also host every startup weekend and these startup nights. And so you know I got to know Cam and Avesta, the, the founders of Coloft, pretty well. And then I just started going there every night after work for a handful of hours. So I would go, you know, from 6 p.m. until midnight. And I was just hacking on side projects, or, you know, occasionally working with other folks there on apps and other ideas that that we had, uh, 
you know, and just doing this sort of in my spare time, right? I had taught myself how to program. So sometimes I was, you know, implementing my own prototypes. Uh, and one thing that happened while I was there is there was this other guy um, who's there most nights working hard, working late, uh, looked like he was coming after a full-time job. Um, and I just recognized that we had a very similar work ethic. And we started talking, I don't know, like at a co-loft happy hour one time and just about what we work on, what we do, our skill sets. Uh, he was building some app and he did some help on, you know, social media marketing and, you know, like Facebook apps were just new at that point. So how do we implement those? And, you know, I was like, oh, I know all about that. So I helped him out on that. And I had some questions about some programming stuff. And so he helped me out with that. Um, and, and he had this idea for Look.io. So that was my co-founder, Mark. Uh, and that's how we met, was at this co-working space. And then during a startup weekend, he he came up with the idea for Look.io. The funny thing about uh, Mark and I is everyone thinks that, like, you know, as a CEO, like, these are all my ideas. Realistically, every idea that like, Mark and I work on is just his idea. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, sure, that's great. Like, I, I can build a business around that. Um, and it's... You know, he's he's really the foundation of what we do because he's this incredible technologist. He's really had like every role in like every kind of t aspect of technology for the last, you know, almost 30 years. So talk us through what happened with Luke.io and how you guys started. You, you know, you were in business for eight months before you you sold to um, Life Person. Um, so how did it start from that idea that you, well, Mark had, not you, yeah, Mark yeah. had, um, and where did you go from there? Sure. So it started at the startup weekend where Mark and another one of our original co-founders, this guy, Joe Toscano, uh, the two of them really built the initial prototype for Look.io over a, over a weekend. And it won startup weekend, which at that time, like the previous startup weekend had been won by a company called Zarly. They ended up raising a bunch of money. And so startup weekend was a nice little platform to launch a company. And so after we, uh, we launched, or we, we won that at Startup Weekend, Mark asked me to join on as, as a co-founder. And so I said, yeah, that makes sense. I was really excited about it. I, I knew him well. He knew that like, he kind of needed our skill set or my skill set as well. Um, and so I quit my job the next day. I called Will up uh, from Startup Psycho and I said, Will, um, I have to leave. I'm going to start this company. And I was so nervous before this call. I had talked to like a bunch of people and Will was so excited for me. He was like, this is great. He's like, let me know how any way I can be helpful. Um, you know, he, and the one thing he said was just as a, as a founder himself, he's like, I can't tell you not to do this. This is, this is what you should do. And he was just so supportive and he still maintained, continues to be a mentor of mine. So what was the problem that you were figuring out with Lookio? Oh, yeah, sure. So Look.io was basically a plug-in for mobile apps to do live customer support chat. So uh, Hotel Tonight was our first customer. Basically, you were using Hotel Tonight to try to book a hotel room. Uh, when you got through the purchase confirmation, like the purchase flow, there would be a little live help button. And then we would overlay this chat experience to allow you to chat back and forth with their customer support agents. Uh, if the agent wanted, they could actually request to view your screen and they could click in and kind of show you what to do. Um, so it was it was pretty cool tech. So the first thing we did is tried to raise a little bit of money. So we raised two hundred thousand dollars total, and I still remember our first fundraising meeting uh, was was at Cora's Cafe in Santa Monica uh, with this guy Tom McInerney. And I think the first thing that Tom said to me was like, "If it's above some price, 
like then this we shouldn't even have this meeting. I was like, oh, this should take a second. And so we talked for a little bit, and Tom got really excited. And so Tom, uh, Tom was like, you know, I told him what we're doing. I showed him the demo. I I always showed everybody the demo. The demo was like all we did basically, right? And and he he committed. So he was like, I'll, he's like, I'll write a check for I think it was like fifty k. Um, you know, you raise like two hundred k, and we'll we'll get this started. And so with that sort of commitment, I went out and you know raised another 150k, which took longer than I thought it would have. It was you know especially you know, it was seven years ago, but that was that was harder to raise than than I anticipated it would be. I mean I didn't I hadn't done fundraising before, so I had no idea. But uh, you know now it seems like no one raises a round smaller than you know two million dollars and happens in weeks, but. That was hard for us. How did you go about it? How did you raise that additional 150? Yeah, I mean, uh, part of it was from another accelerator in LA called Amplify LA. Um, they were incredible. This is just as all the accelerators were getting started. So we actually had interest from all the, the major accelerators. Uh, but we really liked Paul Brico and Richard and, and Jeff at, uh, at Amplify. So we decided to make them part of it. And then the other investors ended up being just you know, other angels in the area, Cameron Pors and Johnny, uh, Farhad Mohit, um, you know, a handful of others kind of all wrote checks. And that was, you know, it was just basically like get intros, have a meeting, show the demo, talk about what we were doing, get people interested and just like hustle, hustle, hustle. Because um, I didn't really know those folks at that point, but, you know, my my network did. So they, they would expose us to them. So it sounds like to, you took a, a leap of faith. You know, you, you quit your job. Did you have any source of income while all of this was going down? Were you kind of hustling to make a paycheck at the same time that you were trying to raise for your company? No, I didn't have any income. So I, I had saved up some money. Um, and so I was just going to live off of that. I also lived pretty cheap, right? I was like 28. I lived in life. I paid like a thousand bucks a month in rent, had a, you know, had a roommate, um, so I could live pretty inexpensively. I think once we even did raise money, I only paid myself $24,000 a year. So it was a fairly, uh, you know, I was the lowest paid employee. I was you know, trying to like just save money. We only raised 200K, so it's hard to pay yourself a lot. Um, but Mark did keep his, his job until I was able to raise some money. So that was, you know, Mark was, you know, coming into the office or into Coloft every night at 5 p.m. and working with me until midnight um, in order to build and advance the product. And then during the day, I would just go take a bunch of meetings and try to get people excited about what we were doing. So uh, it was, and it was definitely the abyss, right? I still remember starting that first company and being so scared about like if it would work and how we would do it and if I would raise the money. And it just, it was a very daunting experience. Uh, but I mean, when I started my second company, it was like, oh yeah, no big deal. Like, <laughs> of course, this is what you do. So as you were as you were staring into this abyss, what did your friends and family think? Yeah, um, I mean, most of my friends at the time were not entrepreneurs. They were, you know, just doing normal things. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't think that they really got it. Um, it's funny because a lot like. Now, pretty much my entire friend circle are other founders and, you know, folks in the other, in the industry. I think we just are cut from the same cloth where they just get me more. So, uh, but, my, but my, my other friends, you know, that have kind of been lifelong friends, they, they understood that like, I was always super excited about, 
you know, solving problems and working on things. And so I think that they saw it as, you know, I would probably figure it out. And the company got acquired in 2012 by um, LivePerson. How did that happen? Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, they just, they called the number that was on the website, which was my cell phone number. Uh, and so their director of, their head of mobile called. He said, hey, this is Ethan from LivePerson. I really like what you're doing. I want to talk. And so we uh, we just got on the phone and kind of told him about the vision and what we were doing and some of our early traction and product. And he got pretty excited about it. Um, and the one thing that's nice about only having raised $200,000 at a $1.2 million valuation is it gives you a lot of options in terms of exit or anything else. So, uh, you know, they were able to make up what's realistically a fairly, I mean, the, basically a price at an aqua hire um, for, the, for the company. There's five of us. And we were able to have a great outcome, right? All of our investors got a great return. I mean, the, the R, IRR, internal rate of return, because no check was older than six months, was pretty, pretty high. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, a great outcome for us. Is that what gave you an idea for Replicate It? Yeah. So while we were at LivePerson, you know, Mark has always been just constantly on the leading edge of the newest technologies. And he was always watching what was happening. And he saw a shift in the way that applications are developed and deployed. And because of what we were doing at LivePerson, he knew that there was this interesting problem that would then be solved because of that. So it was sort of watching all these trends emerge and come together. Uh, and it was the position of being a SaaS company in the enterprise and seeing these technologies and the world changing that gave us the thesis for Replicated. Okay, so explain Replicated to us, like we are a pair of four-year-olds. Sure. So uh, mommy and daddy's smart friends uh, want to protect the the data that their companies use where they go to work every day. And so instead of putting that data out into a thousand different SaaS applications, uh, they send the applications to their own private resources and they run those applications where the data resides. And so instead of having a thousand different vendors, they have a thousand different little applications that run in their own compute. So what type of company would be really interested in that kind of service? If you can name anybody. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, so our customers are actually software vendors. So think about uh, a lot of them are developer tools and uh, data tools and security tools. So our first customers were ones like Travis CI and NPM and Circle CI and Sysdig. And these are all like, if you're an engineer, you might be very familiar with them. HashiCorp now uses our stuff. Uh, but ultimately, they're trying to sell into large enterprises. So they're software vendors trying to sell to enterprises. They use our technology to make that that transition easier and to be able to offer that to those large um, large enterprises. And then on the large enterprise side, you know, it's everyone from it's the the Fortune 100 all prefer private instances, but so do a lot of the leading uh, modern companies like you know Stripe and Coinbase both use applications deployed they replicated, and they do that because if you think about Coinbase in particular. They basically have the world's largest honeypot, billions of dollars of cryptocurrency that if, if breached is gone in an instant and can't be recovered. So uh, they try to minimize the number of vendors who have access to any amount of their data. And we just make that possible with as many great modern applications as possible. 
Was it easier to raise money for Replicated than it was for Lucayo? Yeah, uh, <laughs> a lot easier. Um, you know, after you have some success, you also have a network of, of folks that were excited about what you're doing the first time. Maybe they didn't get a chance to participate. And so we pretty much had a, a you know, a term sheet the, the moment we said what we were doing. Hey, we're going to start a company. And it was Mark and I again. So my co-founder, Mark and I, from the first company, started Replicated together. Again, just another one of his ideas uh, and me seeing an opportunity to put a business model around it. Um, and then the, the folks that wrote our first check was a fund out of New York, actually, called Bold Start. Um, and then Tom McInerney, again, here in L.A., another angel that was very eager to, to invest. And then, you know, we just gathered a few other checks from folks that we thought would be really helpful. And, uh, and, and we raised $1.5 million for that first seed round and kind of you know, hired our favorite engineers we'd worked with over the past uh, few years and built out the first version and got some early customers. So, Well, you've been around now for four years, and you keep your operations quite small. You can see it on LinkedIn, how many people sure. are working um, for the company. So what is your startup philosophy and how are you building the business? Yeah, so there's 20 of us at uh, Replicated today. Um, and the philosophy is, is generally just, you know, we're, we're trying to create a category, right? We said that what we're doing is uh, is fairly contrarian and realistically is not a something that everyone will understand right away, right? So we have to sort of build a, a category, educate the market, help, help, you know, grow this from the ground up. So we don't want to burn too fast. We think about really strategically being around for a long time. And our customers really need us to be around for a long time. We're a very integral part of their business. And so, you know, we're all about sort of planned and steady growth. Well, you've been around for a while and you've, it seems like the journey is all mapped out. Um, can you relax a bit now or is this still 14, 16 hours a day working? It's definitely not uh, relax in terms of just don't work, right? But it's relaxed in terms of just love what I do. Like I, I think about, I was actually reading this book. Uh, it's called Founder to CEO, uh, recently published by this guy, Matt. I forget, forget his last name, but it's all the rage on HN for a couple a couple days ago. And it, I read a sentence. It was something about like get to the point where work is joy. And he said when that happens, then you just don't. You don't worry. And that, it's funny, I made that decision uh, at the beginning of this year. You know, I'd been stressed a bit. I'd not been sleeping very well. And I woke up one day and I said, I just need to to take every moment and just have fun. Like, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But, like, I'm just going to have as much fun as possible building this company. And I'm not going to worry about, you know, if my investor is disappointed or if somebody, you know, gets upset at the office I'm just going to have a great time and, and you know, smile along the way. And that's, that's kind of the approach that I've taken. That's our show for this week. If you enjoyed it, make sure to subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, add a review to let us know what you think. You can also find us at laisgoodforyou.com. See you next week.